Welcome back, podcast listeners. We're here with episode 143 today and something pretty exciting. I think it's the most people that we've actually jumped on with a podcast. My office is full, Tony's office is full, and we have some people online. But, Tony, it's going to be an exciting one today. It certainly is, and the gentlemen are online from Perth, so they have had to get up at all hours of the morning for this. And uh, what we've done is we've, we've brought our expert onto this as well, Tony, and we have Rob Tagani, Managing Partner of Kofkin Bond Corporate Advisory, here with us today, um, and he's going to be doing a lot of the interviewing here. So, Rob, welcome. Thank you, Jamie and everybody. Great to be here. Rob, um, what I'm going to do is introduce our two guests. Today, we have uh, Sam Curti and Clint Arthur on with us today. Now, the backgrounds of these two guys is extensive and the project they're doing is uh, unbelievably exciting from our end. So I'm going to do it a little bit different today and actually hand it over to both of these guys to introduce themselves um, and then introduce sort of how the relationship come about as both of them sort of have a really different background. So Sam and Clint, welcome. Thanks, Sammy. Lovely to be here. Good. Thank you for getting up early. But Sam, let's start with you. Um, I guess your background is, is has always been in the music industry, um, but I guess you've achieved a lot during that time and and all areas of music. So do you want to give us a little bit of background on sort of your journey? Sure, mate. Um, uh, I'll try to keep it short. Um, thanks for the intro and thanks for the opportunity, team. Really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I started playing music when I was about 10 years old. And um, by the time I was 14, I was doing concerts for the whole neighbourhood in my bedroom, which was, uh, you know, people sort of, you know, stacked up in the windows trying to sort of get in there and me sliding across the floor doing Jimi Hendrix solos, um, classic. Um, by the time I was 18, I was signed to EMI and I went over to Rocking Horse Studios in uh, the hinterland federal area of Byron Bay beautiful um, time uh, working at Rocking Hall Studios, one of the greatest studios in the world um, and still still is. Um, working with some of the most amazing producers and uh, I consider that my sort of apprenticeship in the music industry. Um, we were there for about five years recording our album with EMI and then uh, the late 90s um, crash happened and EMI came to us and said, look, we love you guys but uh, we're going to have to shelve you. Um, uh, but if you want to release your music, you know, here's a massive bill. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to sort of get our, get our music and videos released. So it was a full album. It was five videos. We already had a publishing deal in, uh, in the UK. Um, and that was a bit of a shock. Um, and it was my first taste and, um, and last taste of a major label. I then decided to um, move back to Perth with my tail between my legs, so to speak. But then I started um, a couple of labels, and that was Nefarious Music and uh, Wax Tracks. And um, Nefarious was just for our own personal releases, and Wax Tracks was a vinyl only. This was before the vinyl resurgence happened. Um, and we sold out uh, uh, 10 releases um, across the globe. Um, an incredible success for a couple of guys um, in Perth. Um, it was uh, it was a, it was a great it was a great time in in, in my uh, music career. And then I think it was uh, 2002 2003. I got an offer to go and work at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, which is sort of a leading performing arts uh, university uh, in Australia, indeed in the world. And I got the opportunity to um, co-author. Um, the first one of the first creative music technology courses um, in Australia. 
the only other one I knew of at the time was the one that was in Berkeley in the US. Um, and that kind of started this whole process of music technology courses in, in Australia. I was there for 10 years um, <clears throat> and then I got an offer to go and work at SAE. Um, and I've been there for the last uh, six years prior to starting with Ocean Floor Music um, and uh, was leading the audio department there for um, uh, uh, for the last uh, three or so years, well, um, second in charge anyway. Um, and uh, um, and that was an amazing, amazing time as well and uh, incredible amount of students coming through. And, you know, it was uh, it was one of these situations where you're teaching these students who have the most creative outputs uh, and incredible opportunities in life. And uh, I just kept on getting that sense of these students going into a very challenging and demanding space in the music industry. Um, and uh, um, and then Clint comes into my life, and I guess this is where I'll hand over to Clint, who's. Yeah, you've done awesome. you've done that well. You've done that well. The handover. I didn't even <laughs> have to interject there. But, yeah. <laughs> Clint would love to hear your background. It's a bit of a different journey. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the intro. Um, and lovely to meet you all. Um, yeah, look, definitely different backgrounds. Uh, post uh, my university studies, I took a different route. I decided to not fo <clears throat> follow my commerce degree and. Uh, work in the music industry and that for me that meant learning how to play an instrument starting bands my own cover band my own original band I played you know maybe four or five hundred shows across um, Melbourne Victoria through both of those outfits had a vision to record an album uh, an original album which took us seven years to put down I think you know um, promoting and managing a band you know I, I learnt my apprenticeship I guess in, in that space of putting together shows and co-promoting and selling tickets and dealing with venue managers and you know, managing attitudes of band members. That was all a bit of fun, but uh, eventually got an album down, you know, seven years later in the studio for three months and then realised that, I guess, you know, the rest of my life wasn't going to, the money driver wasn't, or just, you know, sustainability for me wasn't going to be in, in making music. So I pivoted and decided to head into corporate and um, build up my skill set from, you know, basically where I had my theory and, and knowledge that I learned at uni and put it into practice. So I spent the last 16 years working for three multinational companies, you know, top um, 100 ASX companies, uh, both in Australia and overseas, but had a, had a gig over in Asia for nearly three years, but running sort of senior um, corporate roles in sales, marketing, operations. And my last, my last uh, remit had a thousand staff, uh, 160 retail offices and helped them with digital transformation. Yeah, I handed over to um, Tony. Oh, sorry, I was just going to interject there for a moment, Clint, because the two of you, your stories and your backstories, it just reminds me of uh, the famous ACDC song, It's a Long Way to the Top If You Want to Rock and Roll. You know, <laughs> so it's uh, getting ripped off by venue promoters and all the rest, of it, even though I, I have to admit I do know the Alberts and they they did a great job with ACDC, of course. But, is, uh, but yeah, that, that's an iconic song, but it, I, I think it – you guys have just said, yeah, we know it. We know the pain. <laughs> so, absolutely, mate. Yeah, we, we've uh, experienced, and I guess that's why we we build from the place of care when we when we've sort of mapped this model out. Um, look, I think about 18 months ago, I started a human potential course by the Proctor Gallagher Institute, and that was all around, you know, going after your lifelong dreams and your fantasy goals, and if you could close your eyes, let go of any you know restrictions, and do with the rest of your life 
um, something that you really wanted to do, what would it be? And mine was to come back into the music industry with my years of passion and experience and, and love for the for the for the industry and then I guess my corporate experience and I, I come out of that um, webinar that I originally went to and then I, I went to ongo and do that course and the thing that came out was how do I how do I help how do I give back you know I, I don't know where the pain points are at the moment let me go back and have a look and as, as just before I met Sam I was uh, studying the West Australian music survey reports and finding that financial pressure was the number one um, king um, kingpin I guess in in pain points for the music industry and I knew that wasn't just obviously at a, at a um, state level it was national it was international and that's where Sam and I got together at uh, SAE and we, we just started to say well if, we, if we're going to really focus on doing something beneficial and giving back how about we try and take on the biggest challenge it's as scary as it might be and it's financial and it's going to be global let's have a crack at this thing and, and how do we do it so you know I mean I guess that's where you know the model hadn't probably been challenged in, in the last probably 300 plus years and we decided to um, work through what were the solutions going to be for this space. So Danny Wilson from from Alluvium, who's the CFO there, had been studying the same human potential course as I had been and we, we caught up a few times and discussed through where the opportunities were in blockchain DeFi, um, you know, and and you know, particularly we're excited about the DAO structure and how those those principles could apply to our possible problems. So, um, yeah, so our our discovery together sort of kicked off when Sam and I first met. We took we brought Danny in to create some consultation around that space, and you know, we're very very proud and fond that he's been able to come on as a um, a core advisor through the whole journey. So. Probably a bit scary for Sam and I. We both had to give away our, you know, our, our jobs where we'll program, knowing that that's, you know, where safety was, and jump out of our comfort zone. And you know, to to do this is we've had to back ourselves, put our backs to the wall, and just believe, you know. And I think that's what's helped create that ripple effect as we speak to, you know. Yeah, sorry, Clint. I think that um, you know, every every great organisation, every great business story starts off with big, hairy, audacious goals and uh, standing on the edge of a cliff and saying, "I think if we jump off, we'll be fine here. We know what we're going to do." So, you know, and it, it's interesting you talk about that course and uh, that you did and that passion. And once again, every every great leader. Uh, has to understand what their passion is because it's, it's actually and don't get me wrong it's you know they say if you do what you love it's not work well that's crap you know as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned it's it's bloody hard work but it's about achieving those big massive goals but you still can't turn up and do it every day because you're still passionate about it I mean my passion if I had a goal was always I just think you two uh, should have chosen me over Bono but you know yeah, we'll, we won't go there so it was uh, so, uh, I don't I don't have any singing talent but that aside it was um but I think though what you guys have done has you know evolved something which is unbelievable so it's uh you know and we're and we're all passionate i mean uh rob's worked in the music industry as well i'm just passionate about music i just don't have any musical talent and jamie was you know he, he was sliding across the floor trying to be Jimi hendrix he just played a bass guitar that's all <laughs> so, um, um, and, and 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 i guess for me guys what i what i love hearing is this compelling reason why you're doing what you're doing you know from the education piece to doing something gives you purpose and meaning and helping to guide and provide that stewardship for the industry you know that i see is really admirable but as tony said not an easy path to trot because you've got families you've got commitments 
there are other things you need to take care of. But I guess putting others first is a really important uh, pillar of being an entrepreneur is actually doing something for others. And in return, you're also doing something that fulfills you. Um, so, um, I, I mean, yes, as Tony said, I, I have been in the music industry, not because I'm a musician, um, but I've been on the sales and marketing side of the music industry with one of the major brands. And, uh, and I remember the intense pressure there was, the pressure to get artists to the table, to book them in, to help, help them succeed. And then, unfortunately, what happens when let's say the pathway doesn't open up the way it's intended and things sort of fall away and they move on very quickly because it's a really cutthroat commercial industry. Um, not intentionally, but it just happens to be that way. The, the key problem you want to solve with Ocean Floor Music, what would you say that is? Sure, mate. Um, and yes, um, whether it's not intentionally or not, I, I'm not sure about that part, Rob. <laughs> I think there's a lot of intention behind what happens in the industry, that's for sure. Um, and it's quite calculated at times, but it is a business. And let's just, you know, let's be real about that. There are financial pressures with all the people. I don't blame my A&R manager at the time for, what it, for the decisions he had to make. You know what I mean? They came way above his head. So... Um, uh, when I was serving on uh, as a uh, as a board member for Western Australian Music, which is the peak music body um, uh, in WA, um, uh, I helped draft that um, that report that uh, Clint referred to before, and I think it was the line that said there is a um, a mental health crisis in the music industry due to financial instability, uh, and that's the line that both Clint and I continually sort of refer to when we talk about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and yes, there is, you know, multiple pillars in what we do and um, and we continually work on those. And one of the main ones is well-being through financial stability. And if you ask why we're doing this, that's why we're doing this. Yeah, um, and that's but, important, isn't it? Because if you can't look after the fundamentals it's maslow's hierarchy of needs isn't it food shelter water community a sense of stability so that you can then i would imagine apply your creative craft and develop your intellectual property yeah it's a real impost if you can't just do the basics that's right we know that we want in that hierarchy that for people to self-actualize that would be the idea and realize their full potential but you know the the reality of it rob is you know, to, to, to back up what Sam was saying, in Australia, for example, you know, the um, Support Act to um, the, the Wellbeing Institute who look after the music industry, you know, um, quite clearly Clive um, has come out and said, who's the CEO, has come out and said that, you know, suicide rates in Australia are six times higher than the national average and ideation is seven times. And it's like, well, that's not that's not OK, you know, no. like, let's that that just rings true Like we've got to do something, you know, and hopefully through music and creating financial well-being that we can help provide those fundamental pillars at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy yeah. and just, you know, create some self, some sense of belonging, you know, that, um, that those safety needs that are needed and, um, you know, just be there, be there to help each other, you know, equality, you know, the traditional world of, you know, any business model or, or um, even the music industry through this platform, you know, bringing, um, Creating equality is definitely important to us, you know, ha having a voice. And then as Sam said, you know, the wellbeing piece is 
core and it probably doesn't come across in our in our collateral and in our positioning at the moment but everything we do is starting with well-being even internally in our core team every day we, we check in with how everyone is we do a meditate we have a meditation slot middle of the day that people can come along to if they want to you know we're, we're reaching out to um organizations to like support act to see how we can help them rather than help us you know like we're we're about giving we're about saying it's okay to be not okay and and, and have a voice so Mm. In a, a recent podcast, I think that the two of you did, you you made a beautiful statement that sort of encapsulates all that. And you said it's a place where musicians can come for a hug. And I thought, what a beautiful way to describe a community like this. Um, OFM has been put together for a very specific reason. Um, and for many of our podcast listeners out there who don't really understand blockchain, don't understand DeFi, don't understand how it can create that community, not only to come and support each other, but to monetize their intellectual property, to actually create revenue streams where they perhaps were not available before. Can you talk to us a little bit about that business model and how that will create that alternative future and that optimism for artists? Sure, man. Um, I'll just refer to that uh, statement I said, or Clint referred to the statement that I said in that podcast about giving musicians a warm hug. Um, it's that sense of belonging that has been fractured, um, you know, and by by sort of you know the the industry that that has been um, sort of in in the in the power position for such a long time. It's about you know saying to artists and the industry that there is an alternative and we're here to help and we really are here to help because our model is all about giving 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 and um and um you know what if we went down the traditional route there was there was no possible way for us to do this um and the only way at the moment that we found with the, the structure and the ability to set up an organization like we have is through blockchain through crypto through decentralized finance um, and um, <clears throat> the model I mean just going back to the model does allow artists to start a fund for their projects that allows for contributors to that fund to be rewarded in ways that aren't possible in the traditional finance system. So maybe uh, Sam, walk, walk us through. So, okay, so I'm an artist. I, I've, I think I've got some talent. Um, I want to try and make my mark on the industry and have a creative outlet, hopefully generate some income out of that and give some pleasure to my audience, whoever they may be. Where do I start and where can I take this? Sure. Why don't we do a walkthrough? So, okay. yeah, you want to record an album and um, you have just started writing the album and you think that you're going to be finished writing that album probably in about six months. So we're always forward looking here, right? And so you go, right, okay, I'm going to start what we call a smart project fund. Let's just call it a project fund for this, for this album. And you um, say, right, um, uh, I need those funds from that fund in six months time. Um, you start the fund and you open that fund up for contributions from your fan base, from your family, from um, industry. It's open basically for contributions um, and it will be open for that whole six month period that it is um, um, uh, that it is maturing. We call it, it's a maturing period. 
you also decide how you want to reward your contributors. And those rewards could be in VIP tickets and experiences, you know, one-on-one face-to-face experiences. It could be with, um, you know, rare NFT drops, maybe 100 rare NFT drops, some unreleased music. Um, If the artist has the rights to their music, they can even offer a royalty split down the line, basically, once once the uh, product gets released. Those contributions uh, continue coming in to that project fund. That project fund is also in, in our liquidity mining program, so it's earning a yield. And the way to think about that is a high interest bearing account, you know, in how like you would lock it away in a bank for a period of time and you might get uh, 1% instead of 0.2% or whatever it is. I think it's in the negative these days, isn't it? Um, but some of some of these um, yield-bearing uh, staking programs or liquidity mining programs, depending on where it is, you know, um, 20%, 30% is not unheard of. Indeed, sometimes they go right up there to 100% plus. Um, and uh, I know it sounds too good to be true sometimes, And this is kind of like the educational piece that we're working with at the moment uh, to really sort of let people know that this exists. So that fund then comes to maturity. Um, In six months time, the funds get released. And then uh, by then the artist has um, connected with our music marketplace, which is our industry partners to create the project. So they, our industry partners are obviously studios, producers, videographers, tour managers, any service or product that the that is required to create a musical product or uh, event um, is in our music marketplace. Those funds go um, get uh, um, go into the music marketplace to create this project, and then the project goes for sale either in our NFT marketplace or uh, in the traditional marketplace. And this is where we we're open because it doesn't matter for us where it goes for sale. Um, And this is, I guess, one of our points of difference to many of the other music blockchain organizations out there that um, we have no, we hold no rights and we take no copyright or royalty from the products that get produced on, um, in our ecosystem. So there's it in a a little roundabout. Terrific, terrific. Um, Talk to us about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. How do they work in the music industry? Or how do you see them working in the music industry? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, Clint's got his own uh, thoughts on this. And uh, it's uh, my, my thoughts on it right now is that they're, they're the buzz topic. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about NFTs. I think that the use cases for NFTs uh, are still undiscovered. Now, at the moment, we're seeing tickets and we're seeing sort of all access passes and we're seeing you know if you if you buy an nft you'll get exclusive you know rights to my shows for the near future and obviously the nft sort of buzz that started with you know uh with images and uh and so on you know that was that that um that was last year this year it seems to be all about all about the music industry but the use cases for nfts you know they can go through into education, um, into um, finance, um, into law. I mean, it, uh, it. You know, the fact that a non-fungible token 
um, is, uh, is, is stored on a ledger and um, cannot be changed once it is created. Um, you know, it has many, many use cases that I think we haven't even discovered yet. Uh, so, um, yeah. What, what, what's your position there, Clint? What, yeah, well, obviously, a, a, you know, $10 billion uh, market segment at the moment. Um, you know, I think in an, an NFT is only going to be as successful as the real value of the art. And you'll see that, you know, in both, you know, the physical art and, and audio that comes through. People will value art maybe on a, a bit more of an intensified scale because of the global audience that will be valuing that art um, compared to traditional physical art. Um, but, you know, the risk of, you know, your open seas, I think it was 87% of the, the recent NFTs that are on there were classified as, you know, false or, you know, um, copies. So I think security is really important in this space and, you know, using content gating and a few other technologies are out there at the moment to protect art is important. I think it's absolutely, um, there's a huge upside here in, 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 as Sam said, you know, education. There's other places to monetize. I think when we come back to, what is the purpose of, you know, an NFT or this new world? It's about value exchange, creating real value, exchanging, owning, owning that piece of art and um, and being able to trace it back to its original place and the blockchain will allow that for, to happen. So I think there's definitely definite upside. Make sure there's great value in the art itself and and us. I think the verticals that will spin out of that will, will um, definitely show up in, in the short term and in the long term. And I think the washi projects and the washi um, um, systems and and revenue streams in this space will quickly show up. Mm. I mean, it's still early days, right? There's so much to create, so much to learn about how this space does become monetized and what is valued and what is genuine and what is just sort of an attempt. Um, I think you're right. The beginning of the NFT market, all about uh, novel, unique intellectual property around graphics and design is only really one facet of it. Um, I guess a, a short music clip that is limited in addition that gets sent to members for their contribution and reward. Um, but it's all about utility moving forward, isn't it? It's what can you do with that NFT? And I think the more utility you can build into it, um, then the more value it will create for its stakeholders, for its shareholders, um, yeah. which is a community. We definitely, definitely see that. And I think when we talk to anybody for the first, when they're first coming into blockchain or even music blockchain, they say, oh, NFT, it's the first word that they've learned about non-fungible tokens. And that's okay, right? But yeah. as part of the ocean floor ecosystem, that's why, you know, we have the NFT marketplace. We have our traditional music marketplace that sort of comes online as well. But not to not to lose sight of our model of you know the crowdfunding built into this space, that that focus of that um, fan engagement at the start of creation with money at the front of the funnel, with fans engaged at the front of the funnel before the creation comes to play, will help bring that real value to the NFT in in that space by the time it's released. So mm-hmm. I guess we're starting with the the front the end in mind, but you know obviously bringing the cash to the front is key and the empowerment for artists, fans, and, and engagement. I might just I might just add to that, that uh, at the beginning, so we're saying, you know, these new use cases for NFTs, um, uh, you know, fans are asking for deeper engagement these days. You know, they're, 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 they're right out there. And the researchers out there, you know, they're asking for things like, where is that original memo that you did on your phone um, of that melody? And, you know, where is that original sort of uh, document that you pen that lyric on? 
all of a sudden we're finding these things that never had any value um, traditionally to have incredible value. So an artist now can think about monetizing things that were never possible uh, before and they're going, wow, okay, that little 30-second memo that I did on my phone has a value, an intrinsic value. And not only that, if I NFT that and I sell that on a marketplace, I will hold 10% of that royalty in perpetuity for the rest of my life, you know, no matter how many times it gets sold. And that scrappy piece of paper, I can take an image of that and NFT that. So we're finding new, brand new things that never could be monetized once upon a time now being able to be monetized. Um, it, it's almost as there's, um, there's real cachet and, and value in the imperfection, in the human side of what you've created. You, know, you go back to the Beatles and, you know, like you said, that napkin that they wrote a couple of lyrics on in a hotel at three o'clock in the morning when they took over the whole place after a gig, that becomes that moment. It's those moments that you can capture and you can now share and monetize and you can resell and continue to add value and to and from. Yeah. Yeah, I think the bundling for artists is going to be the exciting part. I call it, we call it the bundling of products. And I yeah. bought Tones and I NFT a few, oh, probably six months ago now, you know, and, and I bought the digital NFT. I bought a, a, and included in the package that was sent to my house was a um, Rolling Stones magazine cover where Tones was on the front with her signature, one of, one of, one of um, uh, a set fraction value um, uh, limited release, and then also a cassette tape of her um, digital album. So it was like, okay. This is cool. I like it. I've got a digital asset, some physical products. Now let's think about how artists can get creative in bundling this stuff prior to creation. Start, you know, leaning on the audiences to go, what would you like? And, you know, imagine that engagement and then the light bulbs coming on. Well, I'll do, I'll do anything for my fans, right? That's where we want them to get yeah. to. So it, there, there's great stories about fans that just follow their bands all around the world and, you know, at the risk of not even earning a proper income. And they are just so super engaged and super passionate. Um, this just is another way of rewarding those fans for their contribution, for their their uh, for their love of, of you as an artist and what you do. I think it's a really exciting time in the music industry to be able to give back and to be able to receive that immediacy of, of gratification on both sides. And this is the key here, isn't it? It's about, you know, it's the creator and it's also the receiver coming together to build a, a unique relationship, which I find is really exciting. Um, I want to ask you a question about uh, the music industry as a whole. And I'm, I'm, look, I'm really focused on intellectual property innovation, things like that. And has there been enough innovation in the music industry? You know, we see a lot of rehash classics, right? 60s, 70s music. Um, and there are riffs that, you know, come into our current music. And for us as boomers or exes, you know, it feels familiar and it sounds familiar. And we go, oh, yeah, we recognise that song and a young person from today saying, oh, you've got to hear this great track. I mean, like, hang on, that's been around for 30 years. Um, is this going to be an opportunity to really break ground in terms of music innovation, in terms of genres of music, in terms of expanding our uh, influence from artists and their creative um, objectives? Well, um, you would think so. And the reason why I would say yes is 
that there is, and what we call the 90% long tail. And that's the 90% of artists who struggle to make a living from music. Now, down, right down at that, you know, end 30%, um, you would argue, could argue, I will argue, um, is that there is unseen creativity in that space that uh, that may never get an opportunity for the world to hear or see. And we believe that we will give those artists an opportunity, a platform to produce music that we may have otherwise never have heard or never seen. No, so no. I think I think the reason why we see the same things rehashed is because, you know, it's a safe formula. You know, it's a formula that we all understand that is easily digestible. That's not going to challenge us too much. Um, and and that's great. I love that personally. And there's a reason why uh, the body and the mind and the ears react to that formula, because it goes in really easily and, it, and we can digest it really well. But it doesn't challenge us musically very much. Um, and I think this next, this younger generations coming through, um, they're used to challenges. They're used to being challenged on a daily basis. I mean, look at what is happening in the world, in the world today. Imagine being a, an 18 or a 16 year old today. What, what, what would you be thinking right now, Tony, if you were a 16 year old about to go into the world wanting to be a singer in this space right now? So, you know, challenges are there. And I'm, uh, you know, the Redback Hotel in Flemington's not around anymore, so I couldn't get my two gigs that I got. <laughs> That's what I'll be saying when I was 18. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'd just also like to add, you know, the the different ways that music will be created through this technology, um, and even even through the Oceanfall platform. Like one of our funds that can be started. Sam alluded to before how an artist can start a fund. Our fan started funds will also allow fans to recommend collaborations that they'd like to see. Now, you might have two artists that you've never thought about collaborating together before. And if there's enough demand, the, you know, the economics show that and the, the funds are put in front of those two collaborating, uh, collaborating artists, we're going to see genres of music and collaborations come together like nothing before. And the DAO infrastructure that sits in, in this world, which pulls down, you know, I guess, geography and borders and governments and allows people to connect globally like they've never connected before. In the music space, you know, th that ability to have live um, jamming across countries, you know, we'll have that built into our system, allow allowing for artists to collaborate, to have, you know, a drummer from Kenya and a bass player from Xi'an and a singer from, from Flemington, right, you know, with we'll be able to pull that together. So I think creation is going to come from new angles that we haven't even conceived before through, this, through the technology. Yeah, I, thought, that's, Peter, that's really I awesome. thought Peter Gabriel did that, but he always did it live, didn't he, uh, with his band. So it's a, he got a collaboration of everyone from all different genres, from all different places around the world, from Paula Cole as his backing singer, you know. So And, and they're just this amazing tribe of people but it was done on stage. It wasn't done, you know, electronically. Mm -hmm. We're all different parts of the world. But it's interesting you say, one, one of my questions is that musical artists, their persona on stage is very, can be very different to their persona on the street. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example, say, Tim Rogers. So um, I bumped into him here in Melbourne on the street and was having a brief chat with him. And he's just this lovely guy. 
uh, just general guy just walking down the street in a pair of jeans and a sleeveless T-shirt, you know. So uh, he stands out. You know, if you know music, he certainly stands out. And two weeks later, I saw him on stage doing the Rolling Stones' Sticky Fingers uh, tribute with uh, Tex Perkins. And, you know, Tex is a bit beefy around the waist nowadays and can't really throw himself around like he used to. But Tim Rogers on stage, he made he made uh, Mick Jagger look like me. I mean, it was just it was just his persona on stage was absolutely amazing. So where I'm getting to with this question is that these people who are quite shy don't necessarily understand might might have a you know get a gig with you or my or something like that you know so it, it's they don't necessarily understand this so how do they find ocean floor besides all the ones i know just keep emailing you guys and saying you've got to meet these guys but how, how do they meet ocean floor how do they expand because they're that 300 year old model or i can get my point zero 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 four cents if someone plays one of my songs you know a band that i loved an indie band i love called killer kid uh, which I first found them because of their music on an advert that was on TV here. I, I think it might have been Toyota advert or something. But they basically disbanded because they couldn't survive financially. But their music is sensational. So, so how do how do they find Ocean Floor? How do they find you know this these new opportunities? Uh, how do you present these new opportunities to them for them to be able to say let's let's reform the band like the Blues Brothers? You know, so how, how do you actually, how do you create that? Yeah, look, um, Clint asked a really good question on that podcast that uh, you, you were referring to, Rob, and uh, that is um, take a look at the music industry and take a look at your position in the music industry as a musician and ask the question, is it doing the right by you? Do you feel like you have got a fair go here. And if the answer is anywhere near the maybe or no, then we would ask you, take a look at what we're doing. Take a serious look at what we're doing because there are alternatives. Um, and I mean, you know, our social media sort of footing has been growing over the last few weeks. Indeed, I think we may have cracked 150,000. Uh, sort of uh, subscribers to our social media platforms. Um, we are starting to reach the sort of the, um, I guess, the inner, um, you know, groups that uh, we're planning on reaching. And we're, we are sort of moving out nationally and globally um, as we speak. So I guess a big part of it is, is our social media campaigns to reach the people out there um, uh, and uh, word of mouth. And I think word, and we all know that's one of the best ways to promote a product through word of mouth, through understanding what we are doing. And so I guess where I was going to at the beginning there was ask that question. How's the music industry treating you right now? And if it's not quite right, there, uh, what I would say to everybody is that there are other options out there. There are solutions that are being created as we speak. And we're not the only ones as well, right? There are other music blockchain organisations that are doing amazing work at the moment. And together, um, uh, we are offering many, many solutions that were never there before. So <clears throat> through podcasts like this, through our social medias, uh, you know, from Telegram to Discord through to Facebook and Twitter, 
Uh, and obviously our website, that's the first place to go and oceanfloor.io. Um, you'll find all of the links and everything you need to know there. And yeah, um, Clint, go for it, bud. Yeah, look, um, we know, you know, the, the future, we're not going to convert every musician or artist industry to come on board and we're not trying to do that, you know, and it's okay if it's not for you as well. But uh, just coming back to that question, if you're not getting rewarded the way that you are, would like to be in the music industry, then just come and have a look and learn with us. Come along on the journey. You know, it's a, it's a rapidly moving industry. You know, it's not a fad. You know, Senator An Andrew Braggs wants to have 200,000 blockchain jobs here in Australia by 2030. Like, it's this is not a fad. Web3 is, is, is coming. It's coming in a real way. It's whether you d decide to adopt early or adopt later. That, that's that's or not adopt at all. That's okay as well. Um, so we just want to give everybody the opportunity to go. We've got an idea. We've put a lot of um, IP investment and brought some of the smartest people in the world to help build our product. Come along for the journey. Come and join the community. Come and help each other. Come and collaborate. Come and collaborate. That that's definitely where we want to be. Our, our vision for. Well, we think Web3 and, and blockchain and, and um, music businesses, the future is about, you know, blue ocean thinking. We're not in there trying to slaughter each other in this red ocean sort of world. It's like, how do we help each other? And, and that's that's at a, an industry level, at an artist level and at a fan level to help build and continue to build ocean floor. And that's that's um, that's what where we want to support and, and let people to come on and feel like they're part of the journey as not only educating themselves, but growing with ocean floor as we move forward. Can I just yeah. add one thing, if that's okay, Rob, just before you wrap up? Um, and and I should I should put a disclaimer towards this. We actually have uh, been, you know, we are investors as a company. We are investors in Ocean Floor. Um, and but there's a couple of reasons. First of all, we're excited by what you're doing. But the difference that you're actually making is sensational. Uh, we all love the music industry as well. But yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I, everyone who's listening knows what I do for a job. I put in a dollar and, and like two dollars back. That's you know that 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 is that is what I'm trying to do. But you're actually doing so good for uh, these a lot of these artists that I love to go and see weekly. Uh, that you know, it's uh, from going and seeing the Teskey brothers before they launch their album or something like that. It's but you're actually giving these people a massive opportunity to be able to make a living off what they do. And one of the things that we are very big believers in here, we do a lot of charity work as well, is that if you're not financially sound, it causes so many problems in life, whether it be divorce, whether it be a whole range of things, suicide. Uh, you know, have a look at the farmers, the music industry, things like that, and veterans. And it's it's actually so us as investors in you guys is, yes, we believe that it'll be a huge operation, a huge organization. But we also believe it will make such a magnificent positive change to the world of people that entertain me and bring happiness to my life. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. That's brilliant. Um, thank you, Tony. Well, gentlemen, just to wrap up, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been enlightened. We really are motivated to uh, get behind Ocean Floor for all the right reasons. And what we're in love with is your why, the desire to educate and teach, to share, to prepare uh, young artists and established artists 
for what the future might bring, which is bright and exciting and to collaborate and build something from, you know, uh, let's say humble beginnings and really nurture that to whatever its potential might be. So once again, thank you so much, Sam and Clint, for your insight, for your passion, for your energy, and for your belief in the industry, which is just going to be so welcomed. So have a great day, guys. Thanks again. Thanks very much. Have a good day, guys. Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Can Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.